So we've only uh, we've only met a handful of times, but I've got a feeling that I found the perfect um, album for you this week. I'm excited to hear it. Uh, Dub Side of the Moon by the Easy Star All Stars. True or false? Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, do you know that I'm one of the Easy Star All Stars? <laughs> Unintentional compliment. That's why they call me Easy Star Steel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So seriously, have you ever listened to this album? I have not. Okay. Have not. Do you like reggae? I do not. At all? Actually, I mean, I could listen to it, but I wouldn't say. Uh, I don't actively seek out reggae. Do you like Pink Floyd? I also do not actively seek out Pink Floyd. <laughs> I, I, I had you wrong on both dimensions. I'm uh, unpolite, though. I would never turn you. Turn it down. If you, put, if you sat me down and made me listen to any music, I would listen to it. Well, I was with my brother the other day, and he's a uh, professional musician. We were talking about, I don't know, music and albums that we like and whatnot. And I said that I've been listening to reggae lately while I work, and that I like Pink Floyd. And then uh, I got back to my office, and I was getting ready, I think two days ago, to listen to music for the day. Because I listen to music all day long while I work. And uh, I searched for Pink Floyd and reggae, and not only is there an album, Dub Side of the Moon, which is exactly what you'd think it is, um, but that album is like one of the top 50 reggae albums of all time, according to multiple places. That's fantastic. I know. So I, I, felt, like I, I felt like I hit pay dirt, and I thought that this would be your pay dirt also, but I had you totally wrong. It's okay. You, you don't have me totally wrong. You're just really wrong. <laughs> right. That's uh, what. What kind of music do you like? Uh, what do you find helps the most while you're working? Well, I, I like. Uh, I don't like to have to switch it that much. So I like albums, not songs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say I sometimes queue up a bunch of albums. Although uh, I also go on lists a decent amount of the time. So, for example, um, have you ever gone to Pitchfork.com? I have not. So Pitchfork is like Rolling Stone if Rolling Stone was was uh, started more recently and, and just about the music. Oh, okay, I know I know what Pitchfork is. At least that's I, my that's my impression of it. I'm not sure if that's that that's how they describe themselves. But anyhow, they uh, they had a top fifty albums of uh, well I'm sure they've done it for multiple years, but they had two thousand thirteens. So I decided that uh, I would listen to every single one of them. Wow. Um, yeah, which was, like, which was like pretty, I mean, uh, what's an album, say, like on average, maybe 45, 50 minutes or something like that. So it doesn't take that long to get through the whole list. I if guess, but to, to decide that just, man, that, that is an undertaking. Well, I, I follow some people on RDO, and that's like my preferred, um, I don't know, uh, place where I listen to music. But anyways, I, I follow some people on RDO that are always coming up with interesting stuff to listen to. And, like, I decided either they're, they're, I don't know, they've tapped into a good source and are just sort of, you know, echoing it, or are somehow discovering new music a lot. And uh, so I thought that maybe one of the ways that they did it is that they sort of linked into a bigger list like the Pitchfork Top 50 and then listened to the whole thing and then just filtered the ones that they think are good. Um, so anyway, so this is a long way of saying that there isn't a particular type of music that I like. I like to mix two different things, things that I have listened to a million times that just sort of fade into the background for me because they're sort of soothing, or a project like the top 50 reggae albums ever or the top 
2013 albums from Pitchfork, and then I'll like make a note of the you know 20% of them that I think I want to listen to again. Gotcha. I, I like that. That's very. It's kind of passive, and and you end up like coming up with this nice list of stuff that you just like you can talk about. You can you can become the music authority that you want to be. That's exactly. I'm trying to inspire myself musically. What about you? Um, I was trying to think about that as I asked the question, and I was afraid of what would come out as the words were falling out of my mouth. Um, I don't have a fantastic answer. Mostly, uh, I can't listen to anything that has words unless I know all of the words. Mm-hmm. Like they, they can't be distracting. I can't have somebody telling me a new story. Um, I've, I found lately, last week I started a, uh, a Spotify playlist off of, uh, or a Spotify radio off of uh, Never by Moving Pictures or Motion Pictures. I don't remember exactly what it is. Uh, but it's the Rage Dance song from Footloose. Okay. And it started the, like, the best, like, 80s prom, uh, just radio. And that has been fantastic. Like, I think that's been the most productive uh, playlist I've had in a long time. 80s prom. What year was your prom? prom? Uh, 2003 and 2004. We had a junior and senior prom. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that 80s prom was already pretty dated at that point. Right. Right. I think it was just kind of, it was a nice way to... uh, kind of group more poppy music together with some, like, slow dance songs so I could, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I could finally, finally ask that girl out. Yeah, right. While I'm working. Uh, do you have a top three albums that you like to listen to? I, uh, I do not. That's a lie. I totally do. Um, because I have Spotify open right now. Uh, I would say Bonobo. Actually, anything from Bonobo, probably. Oh, yeah. That's a good uh, pick. I, I will second your pick. I, I think Bonobo is great to work to. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And in that vein, um, oh man. this is going to be fun. This is going to be um, Eric and Sean read through a schedule all over again. <laughs> right. I think uh, actually music music recommendations are pretty good. I, it's, it's hard uh, because um, I, I find myself listening to the same thing over and over and over again. So actually, if, um, if you're interested... Add me on Spotify. I think I'm just uh, generic steel or something because I want to hear. I want to see what other people are listening to because I like to get recommendations. Um, yeah, there should that, that'd be a good idea. Like the uh, the Ruby on Rails programming. Not that there'd be anything specific to Ruby on Rails, but um, kind of playlist that was a yeah, community yeah. thing. On RDO, there's a guy that I follow that I'm going to look up while I'm talking that has a, a bunch of very good programming playlists. Uh, I think his name is. I'm not sure if this is really his name, but his name on RDO is Ben Vinegar. I suspect that that is his name. It can be his real name. And uh, he, he lives in San Francisco, so it makes sense. Then it's definitely his real name. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyhow, he's got, if you're on RDO, he's got a bunch of, uh, I think, quite good uh, programming playlists that are sort of uh, grouped by genre, which I think is nice. We're in, a, we're in a tough spot now because I feel like uh, we, we have to make a decision between RDO and Spotify, um, like just as a, as a consumer, because both of them are getting far more social. Um, and I'm, I, now I'm starting to see like uh, Spotify's encouraging following more people, and I get to see like what people are listening to as they're listening to them, uh, which is super fun. They didn't have that before, and RDO had something similar to that and it was much more social so it's tough because you're going to start having all of people like people that you want to follow are going to be in one spot or the other and uh there's not a good solution yet i think this is like the story of the internet right now yeah yeah 
I mean, like music and and any social other social networks things. and, yeah. and uh, Betamax or VHS. Or... <laughs> right. Speaking of eighties prom. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I recorded the whole thing on Betamax. My, my dad was a, a, a Betamax advocate. Not that he's really a technical guy, so it was sort of strange in hindsight that he he picked a side and like went for it. But uh, it's, it, I respect the fact that he picked a side. But he did. <laughs> I know. I like have a distinct memory of the of, uh, of being like the one in my group of friends as a young kid that had Beta and like being super defensive. I, I think about that with my kids. Like you know the choices that I make that maybe aren't. 100% mainstream because I think that VHS was winning relatively early mm-hmm. um, and like that they may like uh, adopt that choice as part of their personality and go right. to school and you know defend the fort you know my dad my dad says that uh, bad mask would be up your VHS <laughs> there was definitely some of that in me <laughs> <laughs> at the time alright so uh, I've got two topics for today awesome um, so you released your book since we last talked I did it was uh, so, uh, topic one is sort of the, uh, the meta topic of the two, which is bo- the book writing and releasing process. Uh, you are, I think, extremely open about how you feel about things. So I think it'd be interesting to hear the not glossed up version, but the, the real, like, you know, looking back on it now, and I'm sure you're, you're sort of still in this a little bit. Sure. Uh, what were the highs and the lows of writing and releasing the book? And then I also wanted to, as a second topic, go through and talk about some of the sections of the book um, cool. that are interesting. Um, are you which, doing now, are you turning this podcast into like a, a behind the music type show? Not um, really. Uh, who did you have on uh, where you actually, you, you dug into like the, <laughs> the history of Ruby Gems? Oh, Nick Caranto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a great guest. Oh. Man, you, I, I gotta say, we just gotta step back here for a second because my one topic is you've been killing it with this show. Like you, your guests have been fantastic. Like oh, uh, ever since, ever since you had that uh, idiot on two day, two weeks in a row or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, I can't remember his name. Something like Iron or something, gen- something generic. Yeah, <laughs> nail it. Um, yeah, it's you, you've just been doing a really good job. Oh, that's so, nice, man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. And um, also, how was the move? Before we hop into like all that stuff, I kind of wanna, wanna I wanna talk to you. Right. Well, well, the move was was pretty good. The uh, so I moved from Chicago to Northern Connecticut. Um, so I, I'm like right on the border of Massachusetts, and uh, pretty big difference. So in Chicago, I was on the the 53rd floor of one of the taller buildings in the city, looking out over the the lake. So like a pretty cool setup. Awesome. And like ultra urban, you know, it was right across the street for people that know Chicago. So right across the street from the museum campus down in the South Loop. So that was like one end of the spectrum. And we lived in a handful of places in Chicago and they're all uh, very urban. Did you have a glass floor that you could walk out on and look down? I, d- I didn't. Uh, uh, but the the entire wall was, was sort of glass uninterrupted. Oh. Um, I don't know how many degrees maybe. I don't know, maybe like a hundred twenty degree, you know, view of of that part of the city. So pretty cool. That's fantastic. Um, and uh, a, a funny side story. So I guess the uh, the platform at one of the lookouts in Chicago. I think that it's the lookout on the Sears Tower or Willis Tower. So there are two uh, two very tall buildings in Chicago that have uh, like lookout platforms. 
and like, like you were just uh, sort of alluding to. And one of them, the platform cracked the other day. You got to look on, on Twitter or whatever, Google for the uh, pictures of it. So it, it looks like a shattered iPhone screen, except you're, up, <laughs> except you're up 110 stories above the, the, uh, the ground. So what and you, it's supporting your weight. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I think it could fit six people or something. So what do you think? And, and it happened while people were standing there and they took a picture of it. So what do you think they did to fix it? Uh, if it's anything like Jurassic Park, the lost world, um, they dropped down a, uh, a satchel to try and grab the person who was standing there. <laughs> uh, that's a good idea. But they put down a, a, a carpet. I a rug. love that, that, that idea. That, like, that's actually what they did. Out of sight, out of mind. Oh, I know yeah. it's like it's like a, if a if a one and a half year old had to solve the problem, they're like I don't know, put a put a rug on it. <laughs> that is, uh, I just I just had this problem. We can talk Rails talk for a second. <laughs> That's not what this podcast is about at all. Okay. Uh, I just happened upon some code that was just catching all exceptions and just sweeping them under the rug. That is exactly what that is doing. <laughs> That's what. We, yeah, from now on, that'll we we need a catchy word for this, but it's going to be something that means uh, putting a carpet down uh, on the observatory. I love it because uh, that is so uh, literal. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's yeah. good. Uh, so anyway, so the move was pretty good. Uh, I went from like that very urban, uh, very kind of cool situation um, to and now I live pretty much in the country. I mean, so the, the in my in my backyard, there's a, a I don't know. If, what do you think the cutoff is between a stream and a river? Is it just um, that it's named that, or is there a size? Can you uh, lay on your back and float in it? Yeah. Okay. You think that's the? I think that that should be the definition. I. That's that's my definition. Well, it's that's interesting. What, that's that. what I've been learning or uh, teaching people. I think it's. Life. I think it's like probably a stream then, because I think that you would for most of it, not be able to do that. But anyhow, there's a river or large re- a stream or small river in my backyard. Let's introduce a third part to that because then there's a creek. A creek, you can't do it at all. A uh, stream, you can do it somewhere, like okay. at any point, and then a river, you could do it at all at all places. So that's, a, that's good. So it's a stream then. Uh, so anyway, so I've got, you know, now this big backyard and you know, I'm in the country and there's a, a pretty stream in my backyard and, and, uh, uh, the cool thing is there's a mother-in-law apartment at the, the house that we moved to. So I converted that into my office, which has really been phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, so I, I like, get up this morning. I got my cup of coffee. I sort of walk above the garage, and then there's another apartment. You know, like, someone else could live here entirely. And uh, I work out of there, so it's it's gone pretty well. Awesome. Yeah, I, I wasn't prepared for you to be on East Coast time. Like, I, uh, you, said, you said 9 a.m., and I was like, oh, right, 9 a.m., Central. <laughs> No problem, buddy. And then I did the math and remembered you you'd moved. So, well, I feel good about that. I I, I grew up in uh, East Coast time, and I lived most of my life in East Coast time, except for Chicago. And, That's good. Uh, it, it's sort of the one true time, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, yeah the East Coast time, not Chicago time. Yeah, East Coast. Yeah. Chicago time, by the way, is the standard. Now, I've changed that from Central to Chicago. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's good. Better see. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. It's good to it's good to hear that you yeah. settled in. And uh, all I've, all I know of Chicago, I've learned from three sources: Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, the band Chicago, 
and uh, Scruff McGruff commercials um, growing up. So from what I understand, there's a lot of crime there, parades everywhere, and everybody's in a band. Um, are those three are true. Okay. It's pretty great, though. It's I mean, I'd say if you like cities in New York, or, I think it's like not quite New York, but it's got a lot going for it. It's pretty good. Awesome. Yeah. It's really good. So, yeah, uh, we can just do a continuing series of where we talk about uh, about cities. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> in the abstract. So. so, okay, which which of our book topics do you want to cover first? The sort of the behind-the-scenes book writing and releasing process or the contents of the book? I think we should do the process part first. Let's do the process part first. All right, so how long ago did you release this book? I quietly released the book about a month ago. Oh, uh, and you might as well do your first plug. So where can one find the book? One can find the book at whatdoitest.com. Okay. One can buy the book at whatdoitest.com slash buy. <laughs> made it convenient for you. There you go. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's go backwards here. So let's talk about the releasing of the book. Okay. You said quietly. Is that because it was quiet or because that's sort of a... a uh, personal sanity management device to try to keep expectations reasonable early. That is, uh, it, it's the latter. I, it was a personal sanity thing because, uh, when you work on a book for a year and you try and like, you're, you're going crazy trying to get it out. The, I, I what happened was I just like one day I kind of rolled out of bed and I was like, all right, this is it. I'm it's good. It's good. Enough. It's fine. I don't need to keep, uh, sending it down. It's, it can at least be released as a, an early release type thing. So I, um, I, I wrote a whole app to go with it, uh, like the whole sales thing. And I just uh, put it up there and people were able to just start buying it. And um, I was kind of, I was experimenting with that a little bit to see what kind of feedback I would get from people. Like, oh, this is terrible. You don't know how to spell at all. And, uh, you know, it's just, I hate it. I didn't get any of that. I instead got some, some good feedback and people just started buying it. So after about a month of that, I did the proper, uh, like the whole proper release, like self-releasing thing where you send out an email to your mailing list and you change the, the site to I don't know, reflect it and mention it a whole bunch on Twitter. Okay. So was it like scale of one to ten, how did how has the experience of having your book released met your expectations? Like ten uh, being it totally met, or you know it met and exceeded. One being, oh man, this is a rough. A rough. It, it's been great. It is. There's not been anything um, bad about it. Um, I think the just the worst part was the time it took to get it there. Hmm. Um, because I mean, I've I've never written a book before. It's weird and uncomfortable. And, uh, so just kind of giving myself permission constantly to just say, this is, this is good. This is good, Eric. You don't need to keep rewriting the section. It's, it's fine. Uh, how, how many hours do you think you've got in the thing by now? I, if I added that up, I would probably be, I would probably change my answer to very disappointed. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that sort no. of makes me feel like I want to ask more questions about it, but I also love you, it. so I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a it was a, a long project. I've I've uh, rewritten the entire thing from scratch twice. I think. Um, how, how long ago did you start writing? I started in March of 2013. March. Okay, so yeah. it's, uh, 
15 months or so. Mm-hmm. And like, how often were you writing it? Infrequently. Um, it, it would, it would happen in bursts. Um, and I, I think that it helped the book a lot because, uh, so the, the entire starting point of the book was I have no idea how to test. I don't know. Uh, I wrote a little intro and I was happy with it, but, uh, I was, I was getting frustrated with testing and I, like just the fact that I didn't know how to test and everybody seemed to know how to test or, uh, and, and something just wasn't clicking for me. And one day I just tried to Google, uh, like I, out of frustration, I just Google what the hell do I test? And like, that was the like, aha, okay. Phrasing it that way helped a whole lot. And, uh, there were no results in there probably because I used a double hockey stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but phrasing it as what do I test helped a ton because no one was really answering that question, but that was what I needed to know. And so I just kind of, um, bought the domain and, uh, I just set forward off of like researching and, and figuring out what it was that would help me answer that question. Well, it's a strong premise for a book. I think the, you know, the question, what is it that I test? Because I mean, knowing what problem you're solving is usually the, the main stumbling block. Yeah. Um, more so than how do you solve it? Cause there are lots of ways to solve something and people that are you know, smart enough can figure that out. And it's really hard to, um, you know, as someone who already has that information, it's hard to articulate that. Like, because it's just like, how do I ride a bike? I, I don't know, you get on it and you pedal, but okay, there are nuances. So like all of that, like, how do you pedal? Do you push both of your feet down at the same time? How do you do that? How do you, how do you steer? Like there's stuff that just becomes reflexive and, um, Whenever you get into testing, I feel like most of that becomes reflexive. So do you feel like you have answered the question for yourself? Forget the, forget, you know, the book and teaching other people, but you know, uh, a year or say 15 months later, do you feel like now you know what the hell to test? I do. I think, um, I, yes and no, uh, great, great response to a, a simple answer or a simple question, but, um, I think that I've learned that, like, the baseline of what to test, and then the rest of, like, I'll know it when I see it kind of thing. Like, I, I, I have kind of the instincts of what I should test and what I shouldn't test. And I'm certain that I'm going to be wrong uh, for many, many years. So um, I feel like I have a good starting point. Well, I think, though, what do I test probably changes over time, too, because it's a, it's a function out of, now, I, I hope that, this does not conflict too strongly with anything in your book, but, but what do I test is as much as anything, a question about the programmer that is writing the code and who they expect to be the future maintainer of the program than right. it is the code itself. Yeah. It's, it's extremely situational. Uh, it's dependent on, on the features that you're building. It's dependent on, um, you know, the scope down the line. It's dependent on <laughs> if you're building a simple app, uh, I, I wrote a, a secret Santa application uh, for the co-working space that I work out of. Like that didn't need to be rigorously tested. It was just to hand out names. Um, I still tested it though. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, if, uh, you're, if you're writing the book, I guess you probably. Yeah, it was super helpful. Uh, any project I could get onto, I latched. Right? Any project, any project I could test, I latched onto. But um, it's it's a matter of like being aware of you know where you are where you imagine you'll be and where you imagine the code you're writing will be in the future. So which, uh, 
In which area do you have the most difficulty still determining what to test? Uh, models, uh, controllers, views, integration of those? Uh, I would, integration and acceptance, uh, hands down. I have not uh, had nearly enough experience with either of those because the – so this kind of ties in with what we were just talking about. I've been working alone on most of the projects. So uh, integration tests – I don't need to test from start to finish uh, on a large feature because the projects I'm working on are so small um, that I, like, end-to-end is pretty much covered in my controller tests. Um, and then, like, acceptance tests with Capybara, I am painfully uh, inexperienced with Capybara. So, yeah, me too. I kind of muddle through, but I don't, I don't really yeah. feel super confident. Yep. But um, realistically, the... Test, testing, like, one test is better than no test. Um, and so that, that was kind of the, the mentality I had going into this. Like, as long as I understand how to test, like, one area, I'm super happy with it. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about about model tests to begin with. You yeah. know, the, I, I went from not knowing at all what to do to, to getting decent at testing models. And even though I, I hadn't progressed to controllers or views or... Um, integration or <clears throat> you know feature acceptance that that actually probably was seventy percent of the challenge for me was feeling like I could get my core sort of low level models well tested so that I knew that you know down at the the, the sort of core of the application I wasn't getting objects in a weird state or at least yeah. less weird state yeah and and I think having to go through that entire process makes it, it, it you get this weird feeling when things start to go wrong like it, it, I don't know, it gives you a chance to, to dig into your code and not not write those quick patches because you have to step back and think, oh, okay, how is this going to work? How is this? How am I going to test this? How like it? it I, I think it just makes you a better programmer. You know, I think that the the thing that's gotten me me the like most education in how to test uh, per you know minute that I spent on it was contributing to well done open source projects. Mm-hmm. Because then uh, this sort of uh, gets to the point you were making a bit ago. Uh, whereas on your own projects, you know, you're the maybe the the only developer and the, the primary user in some cases, like something like the Secret Santa app. Whereas with uh, an open source project, you're in a team, and even yeah. if it's a two person team, that's all. That's like a lot bigger than a one person team. Yeah. And uh, a well done project, I think, has sort of felt out through collaboration with the various contributors what the right things to test are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned a lot about uh, if I wanted to add a feature or fix a, I get started with fixing a, a bug, you know, so I found a bug in a project and said, geez, I, you know, I want to contribute a solution to this. And at first I felt a little panicked, like, oh man, I know how to write the fix, but I'm not sure that I can write the, the test. Yeah. You know, this is very early on test to, to make everyone confident. So I read through the other tests and, uh, turns out that it's not that hard. It, yeah. it, it, you know, it was pretty straightforward because the well done projects, uh, you know, weren't rigging up complicated states to test. They had, you know, factored the, the application pretty nicely and had isolated the components pretty well and testing was pretty easy. And, uh, the having other people that were sort of uh, using the tests as their way to understand what it was that you were doing and maybe what was broken before 
and uh, understanding if it was if your fix was correct was super um, educational for me because I saw the benefit that that the tests actually were the main thing that was doing the communication and the the talking and the issue and the actual fix itself were sort of secondary. Right. Yeah, um, it's it is uh, proof. That's that's it. Like it's it's just a way to wrap up the thing that you're thinking or uh, you know that you want to see happen. It's just proof that a simple way to prove that it does the thing that you're saying it does. So I think that if, if someone's in a position where they feel like they, they don't have a large project or a big team that they're working on and, you know, they don't know how to, to get that kind of experience where um, uh, testing isn't just for your own benefit but for a community's benefit, I think contributing to open source is like a phenomenal way to solve that problem immediately. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a super good idea. And um, also, I, I'm probably going to just throw a whole bunch of work on my, like, just my pile. But um, part of the book, like, the last section in the book, uh, it first it talks about some oatmeal raisin cookies for some reason. And then uh, it invites you to go to a uh, GitHub repository um, where I've bundled all most of the tests from the book into just this one application. Um, and it's it's out there. There's It's public. If you want to go in and just practice with tests um, and just kind of see how I wrote some tests um, and want to just try it. It's, it's there. It's like, um, I think it's generic steel slash secret agent plan or something. That's cool. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the like workflow is write some tests in there, see what it's like. Uh, there's an answers branch um, and you can see how I wrote the tests. And then you just, like from the main, the master branch, just submit a pull request and I'll do like a code review or something. So how much um, how much work have you done on open source projects? Uh, I since we last talked, I took over uh, maintaining the guard mini test, Jim, which is cool. Oh really? Uh, yeah. It's how's that been? Uh, uneventful, really. It's I I, I haven't had a, a ton of time to do any like improvements or feature development, but I've been kind of vocal about the development before, so it was pretty a pretty natural transition. Um, I, it's, don't, it's I don't use Guard anymore. Um, I um, I don't either. Uh, spring, pretty much. Spring and uh, just a quick command changed that for me. Like a quick command in whatever editor I'm in. Yeah, uh, me too. I had exact same experience mm -hmm. that I, it, the reloading fixes, uh, and I've gone Springs. I figured, hey, if they integrated it with Rails, it, it should be pretty easy to uh, get away from some of the sort of reloading bugs that uh, one saw in, in you know either previous versions of Spring or yeah. alternatives to Spring like Zeus or whatever, but um, but I think that combined with you know I try to focus just on an individual test or the the you know the spec file that I'm working in instead of the whole suite. Um, most of the time, then I'll run the suite occasionally. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's nice and fast too. Uh, and Rails, Rails 4.1 did something, and like most of the tests that I was working on, just they like doubled the, doubled the time or half of the time that it took to run. Did you change version of Ruby you're using? Uh, no, it was, it was Ruby 2, and went from Rails 4 to Rails 4.1. It was nuts. Not to be fair, not a ton of tests, and um, they were using, uh, they were using fixtures as a backend, so or as the uh, data back, so. That that probably had a lot to do with it, but 
still, it was it was a nice improvement. I miss it. Is guard um, mini test a? Uh, is there a lot to it? There, there really isn't. Um, it's, I mean, it's it's a plug into an existing thing, so I don't have to work on most of the. Uh, it, it, it's really just a runner on top of uh, a runner that just fires a specific command at a specific time. So not a lot to do. But so speaking of not a lot to do, uh, I released a super small, not that interesting, but nonetheless real, tiny little gem uh, since we last talked that has to do with testing. I forgot about it until we just were talking about this. <laughs> what is it called? It's called RSpec, I'm going to look it up, RSpec Context Private. So here was the problem. And I, I wonder if this is, uh, I wonder if, if you ran across this in the book. So in general, I wouldn't want to uh, test private methods. But there were times where um, during development I would want to, right? So, like, uh, especially for, like, let's say a method that's doing the calculation on something. So it's doing some math and, and calculating some output from a bunch of inputs. And, it's, and let's say it's not used directly, but it's supporting some method above it. Um, um, but but it... It's it's sort of the thing you'd want to test because it, it takes, you know, a bunch of uh, inputs, say like an array of numbers and a couple of other um, parameters and then does some math and spits out an answer. Um, so I wanted to be able to start with that method private because I knew I didn't want to expose it to the outside world. Um, but test it because, you know, as I was building up to the... To, uh, sort of adding the methods that helped it along, I wanted to be able to test them just so I could keep track of whether I was getting it right or not. Um, so I made this little this little tiny gem that allows you to just pass private as um, one of the options to your describe block in RSpec, and it will, um, it will flip the, uh, the method to public for the context of the test. That's awesome. So that, you know, you can, you can keep it private inside of your class so that, you know, you don't have to remember later to make it private and then uncomment the, the, the test, which always seems so, so ugly to me to have to do. Mm -hmm. You can just say, okay, you know, for this block, I'm going to pretend that this method is public so I can do the testing, but actually, you know, not modify what I want my class to be in order to do that, which is, you know, have that method private. Yeah, I like that a bunch. And, uh, it that that kind of touches on a uh, just a thing that that's that's in my head of uh, like testing is not this this final thing. It's a way to build stuff. Like it, it doesn't matter that that is private. Like my like in the book I say don't test private methods. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say because if you're working on a private method uh, private method and you want to get feedback as to if it's working or not, a test that like a test bundled up to test that private method right then and there to give you feedback on it is awesome and exactly what you need. So, like, that's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, thanks. So, rspec-context-private. Cool. cool. Yeah. I, I, should do, I should do our first sponsor. I'm, uh, I'd am i really like to hear who they are. It's actually the only sponsor, and it's a very uh, uh, conveniently appropriate sponsor for the topic today. So our sponsor for today's episode is CodeShip. A uh, CodeShip. A, that's right. No, it's the CodeShip. Oh, the CodeShip. I love how they say that on their uh, videos with the CodeShip. <laughs> I sort of feel like it's a, like they're almost, 
having fun with their name, like the Twitter or the Facebook, you know, as people make yeah, jokes about yeah, their parents. Yeah. Except I don't think that they are. I think that they just call it the code ship, which I think is fun. The code ship, like the talk show. Right. Exactly. I wonder if they sell t-shirts. I bet they do. Probably. Maybe give away t-shirts. But anyways, uh, code ship is a continuous deployment made simple. So you can set up uh, your continuous integration server with the code ship or on the code ship or with code ship. I'm not sure which one is, is the right <laughs> way to say this. Uh, in a few easy steps, and your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. Uh, CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate uh, with either GitHub or Bitbucket uh, for code hosting and then deploy to wherever your code is hosted, whether it's uh, AWS or Heroku or your own servers or Google App Engine or Nojitsu or whatever. Um, you can start out with a free plan. Setup only takes three minutes. And uh, then if you want to uh, upgrade to a pay paid plan and you use the offer code 5x5Ruby, you get 20% off um, that plan for three months. You can learn a lot more about them and what they're up to and uh, their team at blog.codeship.io. Uh, they've got a video on the uh, their website that I think is a pretty good way to get to understand the company uh, at codeship.io. And if you haven't used a continuous integration um, server, uh, you absolutely should. Um, I don't for every one of my projects, but any, for anything you know reasonable size, I do. And man, is it a great way to uh, get feedback on the build of your entire app and then handle the deployment. <clears throat> have you used a continuous integration server? I have. I am. I look forward to whenever I can actually use it for this current project. But um, so uh, a continuous integration server, you just write a bunch of tests, then you work normally. And every time you feel like you feel comfortable committing, um, the server will then check, like run your tests, run the entire app for you. So you don't have to do that before uh, deploying it or committing it or pushing it. There we go. And um, if it's good, it'll just push it out there, make all your customers happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So we should describe how it works. So literally, it's it's on the, the push to the repository, the remote repository that kicks off things usually. So let's say you're hosting on GitHub. You push commits into the repository that's being watched. Uh, CodeShip, in this case, will uh, watch for that. Hook the CodeShip. Yeah, the CodeShip is you know sailing along, watching for the commit to come in. When GitHub uh, uh, receives the push, then CodeShip notices and builds the app the same way that you would on your uh, machine. And literally, you can provide the the, the exact um, commands to run to build it, and they come with the defaults that you'd need for for whatever you're working on. But so it you know bundles the gems and makes sure it's using the right version of Ruby and picks the right database and all that jazz. Um, creates the application, runs, uh, uh, you know, our spec or, you know, whatever test suite you're running, it runs the test suite, looks to see if it's successful. And then you can tell it what to do after it either succeeds or fails. So if, if it succeeds and you want it to automatically push out that version of the app to your production environment, then you tell it, you know, where it's hosted and, and, uh, what commands to run on that environment. Like, so if it's Heroku, you may tell it, okay, you know, push master to Heroku and run db migrate uh, if if you want to or whatever else, and uh, 
And anyways, if it fails, then you can tell it what to do, like uh, email you or or send a message to some chat server or whatever. Yeah. Huge fan. Uh, it, it cuts out the Capistrano. Uh, just lets you, know, let you write code more often and yeah. not worry about deployments. So thank you to CodeShip for sponsoring uh, the podcast. And remember, go uh, to CodeShip.io and use the code 555RUBY to get 20% off for three months and let them know that we sent you there. That was 5x5RUBY? Five 5x5RUBY. Five mm-hmm. Five. Excellent. Yep. Cool. All right. Thanks, CodeShip. The CodeShip. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like we got off uh, from the, the actual book writing and into the actual testing stuff. Yeah, that's fine. Bit. That's okay. This is my two-bullet note, you know, about what to talk about today, so, so it's, it's not... Uh, post-it uh, eggs are scribbled out above them. It's on... Yeah, really. It's on... It's, it's actually funny what it's on. So uh, my seven-year-old was in here um, drawing with a highlighter yesterday. And it's on your seven-year-old. Yeah, exactly. So I just said stay there for a day. Stay there. Hold on. I got to record this podcast. You'll be fine. I am... All right. So this is funny. So I flipped it over. So I had written the bullets about what to talk about on the back of the piece of paper that he had been drawing on. Mm-hmm. So I just flipped it over to see what he was writing. Now he's seven. So, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Yeah, here is what he uh, wrote. Well, take a guess. What was the first thing that he wrote on his uh, drawing? Uh, Minecraft. <laughs> it's it's one of them. <laughs> yes. So Adam was here was the first one, which I think is. <laughs> Adam was here. That's like the hello world of doodling on your yeah, dad's work is, piece of paper. Yeah. So Adam was here. Uh, his his older brother later wrote same with me. Uh, then he drew a picture of, uh, his character in Minecraft, which <laughs> no big shock. <laughs> and he wrote, yay brothers. I'm that's kind of... the best. <laughs> it's just the best thing I've ever heard. Yeah. So anyways, that's, that's good. I'm glad you desecrated that with notes for this show. I know. And so I took this <laughs> and not only that, I, I first made it my, uh, coaster for my, glass of water so it's like water warped and then i used it as my coffee coaster this morning so it's got a coffee stain in the bottom and now this paper's been through the ringer that's what i'm saying that's great that is uh that needs to be framed but yeah, right. yay brothers yay brothers <laughs> <laughs> i think that i think that uh the him and his brother so they're seven and eleven they p- play more together in one day than i did with my brothers for the entirety of my childhood that's and I kind of that's... can't, I don't understand how either worked, how I didn't play with my brothers that much when I was young, and how they don't get sick of each other. Like, <laughs> uh, that's a four-year gap. Uh, I don't do math anymore. <laughs> right, four. No. Uh, so that's a four-year gap. The same, that's the same gap between my brother and I. I think that's the, the perfect amount of time for, uh, I think, you two get along with your younger sibling or older sibling. Yeah, I guess I didn't really, re- I think you're right, and I don't think I understood that. Uh, how, how old were you between, like, what was the age difference? It's like two and a half years. Okay. I, I think there's there's a chunk of jealousy that can go along in there, like, depending on the, the time. Like, oh, man, I was the baby. Come on. Whereas, like, after four years, you're like, I can take care of him. I'm an adult child. I think that they're, I think that's very true. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, yay, brothers. 
Yeah, I'm, still, but, I'm, I'm just surprised he can just spell brothers because his his spelling is something less than perfect. <laughs> that's great. Uh, my my brother just moved. Well, he didn't just move to Philadelphia, but he just started working uh, out of the co-working space with me. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yesterday was his first like full day, so it was it was great. It was it was really cool because we still play a bunch. <laughs> you still play? Do you play Minecraft? Uh, we have. Like, yeah, we'd be used to. No, not anymore. But we do we do, do it all on our dad's notes and uh, draw, <laughs> draw our Minecraft characters. Right. I made the joke on Twitter the other day that I, that I think uh, Minecraft has disrupted childcare. <laughs> so I'm not kidding with this now. I, uh, okay, go, go for that because I have an anecdote for that. Uh, tell it. All right. Um, Amber, fiance. Um, who is right here <laughs> I, now. I, I thought you said Ember, like the JavaScript framework. Uh, yes, em, I'm Ember, I'm, my fiance. Ember, my future wife. Um, Ember, uh, her friends live in Pittsburgh, and they needed someone to kind of look at, at after their kid for the day. Like they were, they had a project they needed to work on, and so Ember did like Minecraft babysitting with them. Uh, where, where they were just on the same server, and she was just entertaining them in Minecraft uh, from across the state for free. Yeah, well, like any joke, I mean, I, I'm, I said it sort of kidding around, but not kidding around, really. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I, as I said before, I've got my office that's like in the adjacent mother-in-law apartment to my house, and but, but I mean, it's connected, right? So they could walk here in thirty seconds. Right. Um, so let's say my wife and and older daughter were gone for the, the day, or even multiple days for that matter. And I said, hey, kids, i got to work. And uh, so, you know, I'm going to go to work in the morning, and I'm going to come back at night. And it's raining out, so you can't go outside, and I need you to, like, not blow up the house. They could just play Minecraft and be totally fine. They like, I, I don't think that's a great idea. Minecraft. Right. Well, I think that that's exactly it. Like, when they're playing Minecraft, and I think that this is true of many games, but I've never seen it to the degree that it's true in Minecraft. It's like they are in Minecraft to mm-hmm. them. For, there's no limit to the amount of time. So it's, it's whether it's one hour or ten hours, they are immersed. Yeah, it's it's just like an imagination stage. Like it, it is, it's imagination personified. Like you can, you it's clear what you have to work with. Like just all these blocks and stuff. And the only limit is what you can come up with. It's it's impressive, and I love it. I love that uh, younger and younger kids just keep playing with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Adam, the younger one, is seven, and he got into it. I'd say right about when he turned seven, so six or seven. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's as soon as he could, as as he had the dexterity to like use the mouse, could read well enough to understand what was written. Okay. You know, like, which was not that he could read everything, but, you know, he could recognize the key things. And for him, he likes to, of course, as all kids do, he likes to, you know, all the codes like, you know, teleport me to this place or, su- <laughs> you know, uh, enter cheat mode and summon the ogre and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that, like, if you if you were to quiz him on what he knows how to type, he would score best on any word that's part of a Minecraft command. I'm <laughs> positive of it. So it could be like unicorn. He'd spell it no problem if there's a unicorn in Minecraft. <laughs> Ask him to spell blue. I don't know if it's he's going to spell it right. Uh, blue would be just like the hex code in Minecraft. 
<laughs> that is so accurate. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, so let's get back to the contents of, uh, of the book. So I've seen you tweeting about fixtures, and we talked about fixtures some mm-hmm. on, the, uh, on the last show or maybe two ago. Um, it seems like this is a, a thing for you, like you're, you're involved with fixtures or not fixtures. It's weird because I think the last time I was on here, I, I had a, a pretty, I don't know, diplomatic stance about, uh, between the, the two. Like, use, use whatever you would like, that's fine. Um, now, I, and I, this is still just for me, so I use whatever the hell you want, I don't care. Because um, I've been working with, uh, well, actually, let's, let's, let's back up there for a second. Because I've been working, um, I, I have a job now, I've been hired, um, and I'm working on a project that is, uh, it's Rails 2.3, it is RSpec 1.3, and uh, Factory Girl something, I don't know. Um, so it's, it's old. I'm coding like it's, you know, 2010. Um, how many, how many lines of code is the app? I haven't counted. I've, <laughs> I, I've been too, too busy trying to figure out how, uh, some of it works. Um, do, do you have it handy? This would be a fun thing for you to bet on how many lines of code it is and then run rake stats and see. I, uh, I, at the moment I do not. I'm kind of like across, I got this new microphone and I hope it sounds, it sounds great. It's amazing. Thank you. I, I have this problem where I bring it up to my face and I start talking like a radio DJ. <laughs> this is a quiet storm with Eric and Sean. Mm-hmm. Of all of all shows to pick, by the way, Quiet Storm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's in I, the I'm morning. It's in the morning right now, so it should be. We we need nicknames for each other, so it's you know, uh, you know Bonzo generic and uh, Bonzo yeah. and the donkey. <laughs> exactly. Rain in the morning. That's with, not, <laughs> that sounds about right. All right. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> uh, so it's, I'm not, I, I don't know, I'm, I, I don't have the wherewithal to talk about the, like, current state of the application too much, but the, um, I've been thrust into um, specs and factories again, and um, I just am not happy with factories. Like, it's just, they, they bug me a whole bunch because, uh so, so wait, maybe do you have questions you would like to ask? Because there's a chance I could just accidentally go on a tirade. Oh, that's either, it's fine either way. Okay. So I don't, I mean, I don't, tell me more about what um, is irking you about factories so much. Uh, so factories, the, the biggest problem I have with factories is if it doesn't exist, I have to create it. Um, and that's the biggest strength of factories early on in that you're not constrained. Like you don't have to take that time initially to figure out all of the different types of uh, data that you'll need. Like, you can create it on demand. Um, Whenever you inherit a very large application um, and you need to test a very specific set of data, creating that is the worst. I spend way more time setting up data than I do actually writing a test or actually fixing a bug. Um, And it it just kills me. So the only time I... Uh, put data into the database um, in testing is now of course I'm sure there's an exception to this but but most of the time that I do it is when I'm testing something that only the database could do so mm-hmm. for for example that a scope returns the right subset of records 
So, you know, I want to make sure it only matches this criteria. So I, I create two records, one that does match, one that doesn't match, test the scope, see that it pulled back the one that did because there's no other way to test it than that. Sure. But other than that, I, um, you know, or, or maybe like a uniqueness validation, right? Like, okay, that has to be in the database because right. otherwise it's not going to be able to do it. So uh, other than that, I'm not, I'm not putting data into the database basically ever. Is Let me ask you uh, why, why you're not doing that. Like what, what, are, what are the operations where you would, um, where you would have to uh, put something in the database? Um, well, the, the reason that I'm not is, is, is so it, there would be no benefit to doing so. Like, in other words, like I, it's, it's to understand what the, I'll, like, let's say I'm testing a particular method that calculates, uh, that calculates some sort of product of two other attributes. Sure. Um, I, uh, and, and let's say it's using the values that are currently set into those attributes. So in other words, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take them as arguments, but it's using the state of the uh, instance at the time to do the calculation. Um, so I, I would just want to, in the test, say, okay, like, uh, per, uh, rate equal, you know, subject dot rate equals one, subject dot quantity equals 10, uh, and then say, you know, expect subject dot calculate amount to equal 10. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so for and like, a, like an it, individual unit test, you just, you initialize a, a, a nice contained, um, like a, an, a an nice instance object. of the object that yeah. only has the things in it that um, you would need to use that method. And the reason that I do it, I mean, let's let's say performance was identical to, to get rid of that argument for a minute. I would still do it that way because then when I read the spec, it's like dead obvious what's going on. Yeah. So in, uh, in that situation, we are uh, like brothers. Yay, brothers. <laughs> uh, if it can be, if it can be on its own, it, it should be on its own. Like if it, if you can get, um, if you can test what you need to test with just a, um, like a, just an, an initialized object, object that new or model dot new, do it by all means. Um, that was actually how I, how I was able to kind of click learning test the first way with just object dot new, a ton of object dot new or uh, model dot new or whatever it was. But, um, that's the best way to go about it for these single things, like uh, mostly unit tests and model tests. I mean, not many things should require, at least this is my opinion, like not too many things should require um, the actual uh, existence of the, the instance in the database. Like very few. In, in unit tests. That's in right. in, in yeah. unit tests. In, yeah. um, like in, and, tests. and view tests, I would say controller, I agree that it almost always has to be in the database. And uh, so and the, the situation that I'm in now, there's a ton of logic in controllers, which is, you know, for, for better or for worse, whatever, that's where it is. And there's not, it, it's a huge uh, project to change on. But um, I still want to prove that it works. And um, so for a controller... I need a ton of stuff for this this one request to work. Like I need a user, uh, I, I need a user, I need um, whatever object that uh, I'm, I'm, is under test, like whatever object is being used in the controller. I need um, any associations that go along with that that might be set up 
Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a ton of stuff that I need, and um, right now the worst part is finding out all that stuff um, because it's been stubbed out entirely, which yeah. it's not great. Um, so this is this is my big argument for fixtures is that those things just exist uh, whenever you're using fixtures. Uh, you you don't have to worry. So my my workflow with fixtures is for like I'm setting up the initial data structure of the model. I come up with like these nice narratives like oh, Jim. Jim's my favorite user. Jim, actually no, let's go with Sean. Sean is my favorite user. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> hey brothers, um, Sean. Sean's my favorite user, and I'm just going to use him most often. He's the canonical ideal user. So Sean has uh, is he's a fully uh, fully stocked user who has um, all of the associations he needs. He has a subscription model. He has payments that go along with him. Well, he has a subscription model. That subscription model then has payments that go along with it. Um, he also has uh, an account, and I don't, I don't know, I'm having trouble thinking associated in the abstract. But um, so I set up all of this stuff at the beginning. So we've got these fixtures that just exist in these files, and then they're slurped up, and I never have to think about. Them. Right. I don't never have to think about them again. But I know whenever I need to start a test that, okay, right now I just need to log in as Sean. Sean already exists in the database, so all I have to do is just say sign in Sean um, before all of those controller tests. And then if I want to act upon Sean, I just call user Sean, and it's there. So it's the the barrier to getting started with. A, a new controller test, and it, it just makes my life so much easier. Yeah, so I, I actually have a, a story that's sort of similar to this. So when I, I, I wrote a pretty large application a couple years ago that before I knew, I mean, my ass from my elbow about how to program effectively, which is interesting because this this app has arguably been one of the more successful things I've ever worked on, <laughs> um, even though the, the actual programming is pretty rough, uh, but... Um, you know, what it was doing was, was interesting and it got by, but anyhow, I, uh, didn't, I barely knew how to write, um, you know, any parts of the app itself, let alone, uh, test it, you know, write, write the app that would test the app. Um, and then, you know, as time went, went on and later on, I, I do know how to write, uh, you know, program better at the very least, and I can test things fine. And, but the, the, then I had this app that, uh, had all sorts of complications inside of it, kind of, kind of that are similar to what you're describing, where it needed to have, um, a, a number of objects needed to exist in particular classes of state mm-hmm. for anything to work, right? It, like it just, it, it, they were too intertwined for things. Right. To, Which stepping back, that might like, that's indicative of another problem, but yeah, but, but like, like you time. said, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a smell, but I mean it's the deal, and uh, it's no small feat to untangle this thing. And sometimes, either through your own doing or by uh, you know fate of your career, you just inherit stuff. Okay. And you know, so maybe it shouldn't have been that way, but that just doesn't matter at this point. Right. Um, well, anyways, so one of the big ahas that I uh, have had, and I you know this is a while ago now, but I've used it a bunch of times since then. Is anytime that's the case and you want to test things, just rip down the production data. And uh, uh, whether it's a subset that you can carve up so the performance is reasonable or you uh, 
uh, load the data once and then keep it that way for a while during a bunch of integration tests. Use that because it, you know, it's testing actually what the app is. And uh, while I would never recommend doing that uh, as like a as a plan A, because like, it's, it's a bad strategy, um, as a plan B to test thing to test a change on an app that's complicated and intertwined and a bit of a mess, ripping you know sort of using a snapshot of production as your fixtures, um, even if it's a big data set, is a pretty good way to go. I think like an ugly way to go. And again, not what I would do if I could start something from the beginning, but like in a situation like the one you're in, um, with this app, like a pretty good alternative, because then at least, you know, you're testing something that resembles reality instead of some stubbed out, you know, Frankenstein of a sort of bizarro world version of the app. Yep. I, uh, completely agree with you. I, uh, spent like a morning last week actually using, um, I wrote a thing that just dumped the uh, a small subset of production data into pictures, um, and then I went and cleaned them up to protect any like I cleaned them up to protect anything that was sensitive in them, and then um, used them. I still need to associate them with each other, but I think that's a great way to go about it because I I feel like the the, the problem with fixtures. Um, so I started with fixtures. Like I started with uh, object hut new. And then I, I went to fixtures, like, this is stupid. I don't want to write. I don't want to write all the time. This is dumb program. Um, and so I started getting into factories because the idea of actually having to come up with all of this stuff, like, there, I don't want to, I don't want to come up with Sean. I don't want to have to, to figure out that Sean's email address is seandaddy at hotmail.com. Like, that, that's not something that I want to do. It's a complete, it's, it's too much of a jump for me, um, as a programmer. So I would, um, oh, this is great. I can use a factory to just come up with that stuff on demand and use, like, um, Faker to, to come up with that data myself. Um, then, then the, like, that, that's, that solves that problem at the beginning. But uh, it turns out whenever I would like, actually put the time into setting up Sean and uh, with his email, Sean at SeanDaddy.com, then I know more about, like, it just it feels more... It's this weird thing that happens where, like, you get this narrative uh, along with your, your whole app. And uh, by going through and actually associating all these fixtures uh, from some production data, I'm getting that same feel, too, where it's uh, – and it's portable. So they're, the fixtures just sitting there in the repository. So whenever a new developer comes on, they can just set it up, and they can see that Sean is the one that's being used most often. So I think that your philosophy on all this is pretty healthy in that – you know, there's been all sorts of drama in Ruby world. Um, it's tough about testing, and um, I think that I think it's a sort of a false choice to say either you believe in um, a, a kind of you know one true way like TDD, or you think it's it's um, you know phony religion and is you know ruining the fun and is a uh, you know tool of consultants. Blah blah blah. I think that like, like my take on it is that I actually love TDD and I think it's why pro well, one of the reasons programming never feels lonely to me. Like I could sit and program for a hundred hours straight, Mm -hmm. never talk to anyone. And how am I tested doing beep boop? Yeah. 
And, you know, you don't really feel like that's the case because you've, like, rigged up this thing you're communicating with. Right. You're getting feedback. Like, somebody is, like, it's it's like you're rubber ducking, kind of. I I think it's like you're totally rubber ducking. I mean, I I don't even think, like, it's kind of. Uh, If I want to, if I'm sort of thrashing it all, I always ask, okay, you know, am am I setting up tests that are communicating to me (laughs) as much as anyone what I'm trying to do? And then if I'm not, and I do, you know, miraculously, I start thinking through the problem more clearly. So I love TDD. Um, And also, sometimes, like if I'm scaffolding up a controller or a view, um, I don't need like, like, I don't need to rubber duck that, like that, that sort of, uh, you know, masturbation at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, or, um, sometimes I'm in a situation where I can't like, like this situation that you described or my, you know, legacy app, so to speak, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the right way to do it, but I'm in the, you know, quote, real world now. I got to deal with a situation that's not pretty and it doesn't matter why it just isn't pretty. Yeah, it's it's we. I have these cards in my hand right now. I can't start the game over. I can't uh, like. I'm I'm playing with someone else. They're waiting for me to to play my cards. I have to do something. So like, right, and it doesn't matter game. why. It doesn't matter how you got there. If you got yourself there, if someone else got you there, if you exactly. were dropped into there. Who cares? Yeah, you know. Sometimes like you know, you got to be an adult and just deal. Yes. With, with your situation, which may not be what you would have planned at 18. Uh, and <laughs> that's sort of how I feel about it. Like where that doesn't mean that at like the stage of my life now I've become a pragmatist and, you know, this, these ideologies are stupid and detracting from, you know, me actually getting real work done in reality. That's dumb to say that. Yes. It just means that sometimes... I mean, you got to be where you are, and if you are in a place where the ideology is in conflict with getting things done, well, you just kind of have to deal with it. Yeah, it's yeah. and like we don't have to. We don't have to. You know, I, I and I acknowledge the absurdity of what I'm about to say. We don't have to have a five part hangout to talk about whether that's okay or not, as we right. talk about it on a podcast. But you know, I mean, like, yes, of course, it's okay that we all deal with things that aren't what we would have created and that the best way to get through it is just to get through it. Yep. I, all, all of this, stuff, like all of this stuff, like, uh, like that, that, that's a fantastic, uh, just, just bundle of ideas and, and, and ideologies. That's great. Um, I think that just the past couple of months with the whole TDD thing, it's been healthy. Like it's, it's a good thing to talk about. It's not, it's a terrible time to launch a book about testing because then you'll be inundated with questions about it. Uh, especially it, it, which is really painful if you, um, like if that's something that you just can't be a part of that conversation. Like I don't have a ton to say about that. Um, because it's not super important. TDD is like TDD helped me figure out that I didn't need, um, to actually test first. Like it's, it was a, it was this cool little trick to make me think. Okay, no, I actually need to figure out what I need, like what I'm about to build first. Like uh, the the whole like the, the religion behind test first and, and figuring that stuff out. That's not super real, um, but it's also whatever. It, it helps new folks, people learning how to test, 
Learn how to test. And I, that's why I like TDD. I don't do TDD. I do more of a DDT, which is a terrible acronym. Like, design... Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think all, all acronyms for controversial topics should also be acronyms for poison. Poison or wrestling move. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I am starting a, uh, a new testing philosophy that is uh, the pile driver, where you just... <laughs> You don't do any tests, and you uh, accidentally break it. Snack. So, um, but it's. Are you a wrestling fan? I I was, and my my one buddy is a super wrestling fan. So I still get some. Uh, I'm I'm still plugged in a little bit, but. Like, when's the last time you watched Monday Night Raw? Oh, years ago. How many years times ago. have you been in person? I've never been in person. No. Right. But. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to make any excuses. I didn't like wrestling very much. I said it. I said it. <laughs> but you grew up in like rural Pennsylvania and you didn't like wrestling? I liked wrestling. Um, okay. I exactly. Uh, it was the fact that I grew up in rural Pennsylvania. Like, getting, it's why I don't know a lot of music. It's why I don't watch a lot of, uh, like, why, why I've missed certain movies. Like, I just didn't have access to, to a lot of pop culture or wrestling <laughs> arenas, apparently. I went to uh, I went to Monday Night Raw one time in person when I was in college, and it was like ex- it was exactly the debacle that you'd imagine. Like uh, it, it was the you know a uh, bunch of guys from the dorm freshman year are going to take a road trip to see Monday, <laughs> Monday Night Raw in Worcester, Mass, at whatever their arena is called, and it was a disaster. <laughs> You know, it was the pulling over on the side of the road. Guy accidentally goes to the bathroom in advance. Uh, uh, guy, one of us uh, gets kicked out. Not me. One one guy gets kicked out of the arena. Just absolute, exactly what you'd imagine. One guy's trying to get across the country to his girlfriend. Like <laughs> it's it's a, a teen love movie from uh, the nineties. Yeah, except without a lot of love and with wrestling. With wrestling, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was fun. Um, I have watched the um, the episode of that '70s show where they went to a wrestling match. So that's pretty much the same thing. I watched somebody watch somebody wrestle. Does that? I, I feel like that predates WWF. Is that true? Probably. It was more of like I, I think that their their, their thing was a uh, like an early maybe it was an amateur thing, but it just happened to also have a bunch of popular wrestlers at the time. Yeah. So I, I, I've both been to a, uh, a Monday Night Raw um, more recently than you have, even though it was uh, uh, 18 years ago. <laughs> and and I've seen it more recently, too. I was at a like a family party at uh, my in-laws back, I don't know, maybe 18 months ago, uh, Christmas time, like December-y time. And it was on a Monday, and Monday Night Raw was on, and, you know, one of the kids was into it, so it ended up on the TV. That turns out that is a massive hit for a family party. That's awesome. S- I, I can, sit around and watch that. I can see how uh, just watching wrestling, I could watch wrestling anytime. There's not a reason why I'm not watching it. Like, I'm not opposed to it. It's just, it's not on. It's not available at, in my immediate vicinity, and I feel like it's a thing if you start watching wrestling again when you're, like, almost 28. <laughs> uh, so uh, I don't know I, if it was placed down in front of me, just like the reggae. If if I was sat down and it was on, I would have a good time watching it. So yeah. that's that's good to know that it is a good family exercise. Like uh, like the Wii. 
Right. Yep. Awesome. How do we get here? Well, uh, I don't know, but... DDT. Yeah, exactly. So, so you... <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, so I think that... Uh, well, we could talk for a while. I actually have to wrap up today. We have That's four well, I appreciate – so here's what I learned today. I should recap every episode this way. Sure. Uh, I learned that your book launch has been a big success. Uh, it has. That even if it wasn't, you've learned what to test in your 15 months of writing the book, which seems like a, a pretty big win. Mm-hmm. Um, I better understand your thing about fixtures, which has to do a lot more with controller tests and sort of like the state of the real application than it does unit tests, which has clarified some comments for me that you've made. Excellent. And I get cranky on Twitter, too, so take that with a grain of salt. If it, if it hits Twitter, then I'm super mad. It was like me this week with uh, – so I was using the QuickBooks online API. <laughs> yeah. And it, the, it was like a, a speed dating – breakup where at first I was like, Whoa, I thought this thing sucked. Cause I'd use a pre- previous version. They'd released a new version since then. I thought this thing sucked and it turns out it doesn't look like it sucks. And wow, I, uh, this is great. Like I, I, I totally got into, the, uh, I mean, not into it, but optimistic at the very least about what I was going to be able to do that I needed to do with the QuickBooks online API. And then, um, there's a companion uh, Ruby library that's maintained by someone that doesn't work there, I think, that's pretty good, too. And that got me even more optimistic. And they released a new version of their, of actually like QuickBooks on, Online, the, the uh, web client, which uh, at the same time, so I kind of figured that they had built the new web version on top of the API, given that the API seemed pretty full-featured. That was not true. That is unfortunate and... That was not true. Yeah. So over the next three days, I went from like optimism and and uh, almost regretting that I had given them a hard time in the past because I thought that things <laughs> had gotten good. I'm like, you know what? I was too hard on you, Cookbooks Online. Started writing like it's a handwritten letter. I, really? I, I I had made a mixtape by <laughs> day two, and it was like full of uh, you know, uh, don't judge a book by its cover, give someone a second chance, and then. Uh, I actually had back. exactly. I had to use the damn thing, and wanted to throw my computer out the window because you know what? They actually don't use. I don't know this for a fact, but I know it that they don't use the API themselves because it just inexplicably does not support certain things that it says it does, or that there's no possibility could have been a reasonable choice. Like you know, you can't search based on one of the main things one would search on. <laughs> And, uh, uh, exactly. Pretty much that. Okay. So, uh, the story ended with me, um, like in the movie major league staring at QuickBooks and saying, you know, F you QuickBooks, I'll do, I'll do this myself, <laughs> <laughs> which was like anyone that has worked with me knows that like the, the probability of that happening the whole way was like 110%. <laughs> and the idea that I ever got to the place where I was like, you know what? These guys aren't that bad. And I was really being unfair is stupid, like, and I should have known better, but there we go. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, that's why I like that Twitter exists sometimes, because you can just do that. You can just vent, you can just be angry, and then it feels kind of okay, because nobody, it feels like a safe place. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I, I had to post a, uh, a video from Major League, you get, you know, points. 
Now, had you seen? Did you see that tweet? And had you seen that movie? I had seen the tweet. I had not seen the movie uh, in full because the same like rural Pennsylvania problem. I think. I um. So one last aside, and then we got to wrap. Yeah. Right. So. I always thought, and I love, I love when this happens. I figured that that was a movie quote that people generally quote, and the, the, so this is the uh, the not safe for children moment. Uh, but so the line is the one guy is he's at home plate and he's uh, this uh, he's like the big guy on the team, major leagues about baseball, and he, <laughs> you know, hey, a lot of people aren't into baseball, so he is at home and the whole he has this uh, like. Uh, religious relationship with his bat, which he named Joe Boo. And, uh, he blames all, he blames all of his problems and all, and credits all of his success to this bat, Joe Boo. And anyway, so he's having trouble and he eventually, uh, gets over it at a key point in in the game by in the, uh, uh, like in the batter's box, he's about to take a pitch and he goes through this speech and then says, fuck you, Joe Boo, I'll do it myself. So my whole life, I thought, F you, Joe Boo, I'll do it myself, was like a line that people quote like lines from Caddyshack. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it is. No. Because I went to um, I went to search for like a gif of it, uh, and there isn't one. I was like, there's no way. This is like the famous line from Major League. Well, it turns out, it was, like, I liked the line. <laughs> Which, again, if, if anyone that's worked with me is like, right, exactly. You know, this is, of course you like that line. <laughs> um, but it, I don't think it actually is a line. I think this is just a line that I responded to when I was, like, 12 and saw the movie. Um, and, like, that, that I, with the Internet now, that's, like, I, that's my workflow for jokes or anything that's, like, pop culture is I think of something, and I'm like, is this just me or is this a thing? And then search for it, and then, you know, you figure it out. I love that that, that, predates, that predates memes. That predates, like... <laughs> the uh, the the idea to, or the ability to capture it in a gif like and just nobody's picked up on it in that time like there are plenty of movies mid eighties that people just like and they, they do it and it's it's interesting that that line something that you you cared about so much and you use so much uh, or so often just hasn't made hasn't made it so well now that you so you I audition this with you is that a I think that's like a meme worthy gif worthy line. No? Well, uh, I'm not sure. No, was it? like, like you watched that video, the F.U. Joe Boo, I'll do it myself. Mm-hmm. That, that seems like it could be a meme. It me. should be. Yeah, no, it should be, uh, like, watching the movie, or watching the, the, the clip that you put up there. It seems like it should have been, it should exist as a game. <laughs> well, like, my, in general, my take on this sort of thing, like, with open source anything, is, like, well, then make a GIF, stupid. That's, like, what I think to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Except, like, GIFs aren't my thing, so I don't know that I'll go there. That's okay. Look, you've—I feel like you've—you've you've, uh, dug up some some part of the internet that hasn't existed yet. <laughs> no, so you know, maybe this, some someone will take it from here. This is your your contribution. You you've shined a spotlight, uh, faithful listeners. What else do you love in movies that isn't a gift? <laughs> exactly. Send it to Sean. Here, my, my two contributions to the internet this month are that. Uh, which is a very, very minor contribution. And I made a Twitter bot called Go to Collage that <laughs> retweets when people accidentally say go to collage instead of go to college. 
as, as a joke for my daughter who loves it when people do that. So I said, okay, then I'll, I'll make you like me more by, <laughs> by making a Twitter bot that does that. Turns out sweet. hilarious. Super okay. funny. Yeah. Uh, All right. This has been awesome. Uh, remind everyone where they can buy your book and where to reach you online. Please. They can buy my book at whatdoitest.com slash buy. I made it easy for you. And you can uh, follow me on the Twitter net at uh, I'm Generic Steel. And yeah, that's really it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I am, oh, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Codeship, and I am uh, barely known on Twitter. <laughs>